Hello, this is Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. I'm Tim Bousquet, editor of the Halifax Examiner, which is available online at halifaxexaminer.ca. Also in the studio is Examiner Radio producer Russell Gregg. Hi, Russell. Hey, Tim. How are things? Slow summer. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, definitely plugging through the dog days uh, of, of summer, and you see that in the, in, in the news coverage. There's yeah. really not a lot going on. Yeah, the Metro today had a front-page article about the harbor hop. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. This is episode number 74 of Examiner Radio. As always, you can listen to the show on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax on Fridays at 4.30 in the afternoon or anywhere in the world via their website at www.ckdu.ca. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and have each new episode automatically delivered to your device of choice. Just search for Halifax Examiner in the iTunes search engine and it's the first result. Yeah, today we're speaking with Stephen Marr, who is a longtime Halifax journalist who went to Ottawa and made good, and uh, who is well known for breaking the robocalls story during the Harper government, and uh, is now a fiction writer, and uh, we'll be discussing his new book, Salvage, with him. First up, though, let's do Week in Review. Okay. It's, uh, it is a short Week in Review. Uh, my first question to you is, who is George Baker? Oh, uh, George Baker is a city councilor or town councilor, I guess, in Amherst, which is a smallish city town uh, you know, by the New Brunswick border. He uh, kind of stepped in it, but, you know, uh, it's such a small town that uh, the councilors are part-time. They make $14,000 a year, and he supplements his council income by delivering pizzas. And he's at the pizza shop. He apparently got in some sort of argument with his coworkers, and through the course of that, used a racial slur. Should we say? Well, you can just say he he, he used the N word. Yeah. Uh, um, yes, and um, this became a, a a public issue after a very um, persistent citizen pressed the issue at council, and, and it became public because of that. Okay. He's also, uh, I, I understand, running for mayor of, yeah. of Amherst? Yeah. He says that his, his he said, I don't know where that came from. It just popped out, and I don't use that kind of language. And um, uh, Except he does, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, and, and that uh, he went and talked with, apparently, every black person in Amherst and found out that it was okay. And uh, he said, well, at least I didn't use profanity. <laughs> Uh, so, so th- this has become a. Pro- I mean, this has become a provincial story. It's been picked up well, by the yeah. CBC and other major news outlets. Yeah. Well, once again, it's it, you know, it just it demonstrates how deeply seated racism is in our society. Um, I have no reason to disbelieve this man that uh, he doesn't regularly use that kind of language, but the fact that it would just pop up says something. Yeah, and it, it not just in our society, but specifically, I got to say, Nova Scotia. There are things here that just, you know, every time I, I think we're progressing, there's a cross burning or Confederate flags hanging or, uh, you know, yeah. graffiti of, of uh, nooses and swastikas. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Okay, yeah. okay. Let's just, uh, let's just move on. Uh, George Baker, 
Best of luck with your candidacy. What's going on with the World Trade and Convention Center? George R. Murray bought it. Okay. Or has committed to buying it. This uh, is a surprise? Yeah, I, I didn't think anyone would want that piece of junk. You know, it's a 30-year-old building um, in a bloated office uh, market with um, lots of new buildings coming online, not the least of which is the Nova Center just uh, across the street. Right, right. Um, so I don't know what he's thinking, but he, he has committed $13.5 million to it. The city had first rights of refusal and declined to purchase it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's his. Now, there are all sorts of problems with this. Uh, one is that it's the same piece of property. It's connected to the, the Metro Center. And some of the equipment that runs the Metro Center is actually in the building that's being sold. So how that will work, we don't know. What he's intending to do with it, who knows? Uh, he's got another crappy old office building up on Quinpool, and he plans on tearing that one down and building a 28-story apartment building. Um, I doubt that's what he's going to do on Argyle Street, but uh, who knows? Okay. Uh, and, and who is who, who is he? I mean, uh, George R. Martin is yeah. Halifax's largest developer, hands down. Well, after Clayton Developments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he owns Armco Capital. He's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, quite famous in news circles for his very high-profile divorce in recent years that was an international incident. Um, The single largest contributor to city council campaigns and also, interesting enough, to provincial campaigns. And the the minister, uh, I'll be writing this story before this error, so um, I can talk about this. The minister, Kusaleis, who said that he was trying to keep the building in the province's hands uh, received uh, $3,000 from the Ormoyan family and campaign contributions. Mm. Um, arguably should have stepped away from the file, but uh, I'll be calling him and asking him about that. All right. Interesting. Uh, what is Canada's Supreme Court missing? Atlantic Canadians. It had always, since Confederation, there had always been someone from Atlantic Canada on the Supreme Court. And Justin Trudeau has uh, announced that he will not continue that tradition. So th- there wasn't a legal requirement. It was just tradition. tradition. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as opposed to uh, there is a legal requirement, a constitutional requirement, that there be seats from Quebec mm-hmm. on, on the court, um, which kind of makes sense because it's a parallel legal system that, you know, uh, from the Anglo system. So Yeah. Uh, but uh, what's interesting about the announcement that no Atlantic Canadian will be on the court is that none of the uh, MPs or none of the premiers from Atlantic Canada raised it as an issue. And uh, it's very clear why that is. is because they're all liberal. Yeah. Every single one of them is from the Liberal Party. Um, and they would not uh, deign to uh, criticize their leader, which I guess is the downside of um, of an electoral sweep. You know, there's no, mm-hmm. con- no contrary voices out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do we see any, any shift in there? In, in in the future, I mean, I don't know how many, uh, you know, how many judges are coming up for. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And retirement for me personally, that's not so big of an issue, you know, out, uh, outside the French English uh, legal system thing. I, I don't know that there's a real imperative to have someone from Atlantic Canada. For me, it it just reflects uh, other problems, and the biggest one that I see is is during the Harper government, Harper changed the way equalization 
payments work, uh, specifically related to health care. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no longer need-based, but population-based. And this is a problem in Atlantic Canada, especially in Nova Scotia, because we have an increasing age population, and though old people need health care at, at higher rates than younger people. Uh, so our health bills are, are zooming skyward, and we're not getting the equalization payments to keep up with it. You would think that uh, this would concern premiers, especially in Atlantic Canada, uh, but also MPs, uh, and to get it changed back. But there has not been a peep from the Trudeau government, and so far as I can see, none of the MPs are making an issue of it publicly. Okay. Interesting stuff. Yeah, that could be uh, many, many billions of dollars that Nova Scotia is losing out on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, let's uh, let's take a break here on Examiner Radio. And when we come back, we will speak with uh, Michener Award winning uh, journalist Stephen Marr. Uh, it's bad tie wearing <laughs> Michener Award. <laughs> yeah. uh, Stephen Marr. And uh, he'll be talking about his new book, Salvage. You're listening to Examiner Radio. I'm joined in the studio by Stephen Marr, who is a longtime investigative reporter turned author, fiction uh, in this case. And uh, hello. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming in. Just to let people know, you have um, long uh, Halifax roots. You started at the Daily News, is that right? That was uh, that's where I started in the city. Yeah. Uh, I started in the business in the newspaper business in uh, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador in the 1980s. Uh, and after three years over there, I uh, started working at the Halifax Daily News back in like 1980, no 1992. And like were you part of the Exodus uh, when they were closed down, or did you leave before then? I left w- uh, well before that. I left when uh, Conrad Black bought the Daily News, and they offered buyouts, and then I went over to the Chronicle Herald. And you started the Ottawa Bureau? I didn't start it. Oh, but you didn't? I, uh, no, that, that had been an Ottawa Bureau of the Chronicle Herald for uh, a long time, but they, they sent me up there, and I was there uh, with the Chronicle Herald until 2011, when I went to work for Post Media. And at, I, at the Ottawa Citizen. Uh, yeah, And right. you broke the uh, Robocar. Ro- Robocall story, yeah, yeah, with Glenn McGregor. We dug that up. You and I were at the Michener Award ceremonies together. That's right. The one that you won. And you were honored yes. at. Yeah. Yeah, it was great fun. Yeah, I, uh, Very quickly, I, I tell this story about you showing up all disheveled in this tie, this bow tie that wasn't working. And uh, <laughs> my boss, Kyle Shaw, took you down into the uh, washroom and fixed your tie for you. And you came <laughs> out and it looked great. And five minutes later, you're on the stage and the tie is a mess again. <laughs> Yeah, that's sort of a family trait. The Mars are, uh, my uh, aunt's joke that, that, you know, we always have our shirts untucked. and you, There's really nothing you can do with us. You are now, uh, you have left Post Media. That's what are you, right. What are you doing? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to return to journalism uh, in the fall. 
Uh, I got something lined up, but I'm not ready to announce it yet. Yeah, I think we've discussed this last time you were in town, eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll I, keep the lid on it. You do. Yeah. do. Yeah. Special correspondent for the examiner. No. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a bit of fun. Yeah, I can't afford you. The Ottawa <laughs> Bureau of the uh, yeah, Examiner. Yeah, one day. Um, anyway, good luck with that. Thank you. But the reason you're in the studio now is you have published this book, Salvage, and you very kindly got me a reader's copy, which I read while driving around Ontario a couple weekends ago. And uh, it's a quick and easy read, you know, kept my attention. So that's, you went on that point. That's good. It's <laughs> meant to be a page turner. Yeah. Maybe you can tell us what, what it's about. So it's the story of a guy named Philip Scarnham, who's a um, down-on-his-luck boat bum, a sailboat uh, delivery captain and uh, sailboat repairman who lives in the back bay of Chester. Uh, he's had some difficulties in his life. He's 40 years old, lives on a boat, doesn't have a lot of money, um, has been unlucky in love, and uh, his he sees a way for his luck to turn around when he's delivering a schooner to Halifax one spring morning and uh, sees a, a lobster boat uh, on the rocks off Sambro. Yeah. Uh, now, now you, um, you're a sailor. Yep. What kind of boat do you have? I have a uh, 1976 Ranger 33. Did you have that here in Halifax? No, I had a, uh, a Tanzer when I was here, a Tanzer 7.5. It's a lot, a lot of work having a boat. It is, and they're, uh, uh, they're rewarding. I think the experiences you have sailing around are just amazing and memorable, And uh, but they are... Uh, they take a lot of time and uh, as much money as you have. So th- <laughs> all these places in the book, um, this is a very Nova Scotia-specific uh, geographically book. Um, you you start at the Sambra Ledges, which yep. uh, you were just showing me on Google Maps, is uh, not r- right off Sambro, but kind of a little bit more to the south and west of that. A, a real danger spot that you've sailed through. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think that's sort of part of the inspiration for the book is having been out there and you think, wow, this is an amazing place. There's a, there's a bunch of rock ledges. Uh, and to sail from the South Shore to Halifax, you either have to go way south and way around or sail through this Boyd Passage uh, where the waves are rolling in and smashing on the rocks and you're going in with nice swells. The boat is being lifted up above the rocks and below them and you're... Uh, the sky is enormous, and the power of the sea is really evident. Long, uh, long history of shipwrecks there. And, yeah, and, and you uh, start the boat with uh, start the book with a scene. Um, Philip uh, risks his life essentially to get to get this boat. Yeah, which is sort of a, a sign of he salvages this lobster boat that he sees on the rocks, risks his life, and in kind of a foolish way, which sort of suggests that he he doesn't value his life as as highly as he should, perhaps. Yeah. I kept wondering as I was reading the book if you had an intended audience. Well, uh, d- discriminating, uh, brilliant <laughs> Nova Scotians, I don't know. Um, is it Nova Scotians or, or is this a book written for the wider world? I, I, it's funny. I just finished writing a blog post about this. I, uh, would, I hope that the, the book sells a bunch of copies and people read it all and it's translated into Finno-Ugarian and all kinds of languages. <laughs> but... Uh, what, all I really care about is that people on the south shore of Nova Scotia read this and and say, oh, this is good. This is a story about our part of the world, and he's got it right. 
that's what's important to me on a personal level. And okay, um, you there are some stock characters in this book, um, and y- you know you you have a, a an interesting and and fun story that you've kind of grafted a, a, upon kind of a checklist of of here's Nova Scotia. So we we have the the Nufi main character. He uh, is Newfoundland ancestry. Yeah, I think uh, by page three, he's singing "Eyes to Buy," right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, you got the Acadian, the hot Acadian woman. Yeah, some someone said to me last night, "Oh, the dark hair, black haired, uh, black eyed Acadian woman." I said, "Yeah, I guess." <laughs> you know? And you got the re- what? What do we call them before coming in the studio? The South Shore Rednecks. The yeah, the, that's the right. Zinks. The Zink family, which are wild fishing people from down uh, around Port Mattoon area yeah in and a th- made up community because I didn't want to blacken the good name of Port Mattoon or yeah and um, interesting to me is I, did you get this book lawyered well uh, I don't know if I did with the, whether the publishers did or not you, you know I ask because you have some characters who are very plainly modeled over prominent local citizens uh oh no i would say that you are mistaken if you're saying that <laughs> okay so uh so the the hard-nosed criminal defense lawyer uh, joel freeman is not modeled after anyone uh, uh no he's an imaginary character uh and uh whether he's modeled after someone whether someone might have inspired him but i think of these characters as you know they're, they're in no way you know, meant meant to. Uh, what's the the boilerplate they put in the front of books? Yeah. Uh, any any resemblance to uh, is, is merely coincidental. Living people is yeah. yeah so the the billionaire uh, fish purveyor uh, who owns a company called Seawater is not. He's also not uh, reflecting anyone in the real world. No, no. And, and the at the end of the book, we have a a, a sort of. A, uh, cameo appearance by um, the Donaire King uh, chain of restaurants, and that's not reflective of any other uh, real-world chain of restaurants. No, certainly not. There's any number of Donaire... Uh, Queens, princes. <laughs> royalty. <laughs> yeah, uh, Too funny. Let me just jump in and say if people are uh, tuning in now, I'm speaking with Stephen Moore, longtime investigative reporter slash uh, uh, author, fiction writer, and uh, we're discussing his new book, Salvage, which is available now? Yes, it should be in stores. It is in stores as of l- this week. Great. Um, yeah. all, all the usual places. Yeah. And I imagine Bookmark's got a big display or something. Yes, and they're handling the um, the sales at my uh, launches in Halifax and uh, Charlottetown. Do tell us what events you have coming up. So on uh, Saturday... The real hard launch is in uh, Chester at 4 p.m. at the uh, Rope Loft, a great uh, downtown pub that's sort of featured in the book. Yeah. Uh, and where I spent some time while I was writing it. After a long day of typing, I would sometimes relax at the Rope Loft. Uh, on Sunday, 4 p.m. at uh, the Economy Shoe Shop, an old haunt uh, in Halifax of mine. Sar- Sunday? Sunday. Sunday yeah. at 4 p.m. Sunday. I'll, I'll, I'll make that. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, and um, Monday in Truro at the Colchester Historium, which is in downtown Truro, at 7 p.m. And then uh, uh, Tuesday in Charlottetown at uh, 7 p.m. at the Upstreet Brewing Company. 
great and we'll list those on our on our website oh, be just great. so besides the characters and the geography you've got a fun story um where did that come from where did that story come from so it kind of um it's interesting so years ago uh, when i was still living in halifax working for the chronicle herald i bought a, an old sailboat and it uh was in chester in the back bay of chester and i went down there repeatedly to in my ineffectual way try to get the boat ready to go in the water and then sailed it in and I got to know uh, a little bit of Chester at that time, and, oh. and I remember thinking one day in particular, stopping the car and looking at the back bay from the bridge at the head of the back harbor of Chester and thinking, I should write a mystery story set here in this place. Really? Uh, I, but I didn't get around to it until 2008 when I was in uh, living in Ottawa, and I got rid of my old boat and had a new old boat in Ottawa. And I had a summer vacation with no particular plans, and I was single and had a boat and uh, I thought well I'm it's about time that I finally write a novel I'm gonna sail down the river and drop the anchor in an anchorage and I had a gasoline generator uh, and a little laptop the Chronicle Herald laptop actually <laughs> I confess and uh, I dropped the anchor in a cove in a place called Voyager Provincial Park I didn't really have the story sketched out but I kind of uh, worked on it 14, 16 hours a day, just typing. When the laptop battery got low, I'd go crank up the uh, generator that was sitting on the bow on a piece of dirty old cardboard. And and the story just, I felt my way through it. Yeah. Uh, just sort of. I, I find it interesting, um, journalists popping into fiction. I, you know, I, I think of writing a book and I just get exhausted just thinking about it. And, you know, it's, it's so much different than putting out um, you know, a, a daily news item or even a even a big investigative piece that we both have done, um, you know, which can take months. It seems like writing a novel is even more exhaustive than that. It's a funny sort of thing because you don't get the... Um, so that was 2008. Here we are, 2016. So yeah. it's taken that long before I see whether people like it or not. When you write a news story... Sometimes by the end of the day, you yeah. get the reaction or the sense that people are reading it. So this is the lead time is so long, the amount of work and effort, uh, and it's a kind of lonely thing to yeah. be. To, to me, uh, I'm not one of those people who uh, writes for an hour every morning before they begin their day job. I do it in these chunks of time that I on vacation that I set aside, um, and uh, yeah, it, I'm only really able to get into the right headspace when I have a chunk of days. And, and I do find it kind of a, a lonely, but it's also, at, at its best, it can be so exciting, this feeling of creative, like you're, when, when you feel like, oh, suddenly you realize, oh, I know what to do. I know what will happen next. It can be just the most uh, exciting feeling. I don't want to give away the book, but it's full of intrigue and, and violence and, and uh, drugs and... Um Am I missing anything? <laughs> sex. 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 Yes. Sex. sex. Colorful local accents. Yes. Yes. And, and characters. Well done. Well, thank you. Yeah. While I have you here in the studio, uh, let's talk journalism. Sure. You're about to embark on something new, a new course. W what do you think's going on across Canada? The How's the, the scene? Well, uh, I was, um, we talked about this before, uh, I was at Harvard for the last year at the Neiman Foundation, and we talked there uh, a lot 
we had the people from the um, the Neiman Lab, people who, are, mm-hmm. who watch the journalism business as closely as anyone in the world. Uh, and I attended some conferences, and we had lots of smart people in from Vox and Vice and all kinds of online news publications. And it seems to me that it's a really bad time in the business. There's no two ways about it. This week, the Toronto Star announced that they're laying off 60 people. Toronto Star does some of the best uh, news coverage in Canada. Uh, Post Media just recently seemed to avoid the guillotine, um, having uh, uh, reached a new deal with with creditors, which bought them some time. But uh, none of the revenue models look particularly good. The Globe uh, Globe Mail seems to be doing better, uh, but it's privately held by the Thompson, so that doesn't mean that they're making money. It means that they're... Willing to lose money, perhaps. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. It may be less. They have the report on business, which advertising for for that kind of thing can can seems like it might be more profitable because they're reaching an elite market and very valuable market. I don't think I'm breaking any confidences, uh, and if I am, you'll tell me. But uh, we we sat down and talked a month ago. You said that when you got at the Ottawa Citizen, you had a newsroom of how many? So yeah, that so Post Media used to have a uh, a news service headquartered in Ottawa. And when I started working there in 2011, there must have been 40, 50 people there. Uh, you know, sports photographers and yeah. editors and all kinds of things. And by the time I uh, I left there uh, this year, it's down to three or four, I think. Jeez. We now the Citizen still has their operation. That's I, I but see. the the. The chain, Post Media, which runs news, not in Atlantic Canada, but other, otherwise, they the, run a lot of the, own a lot of the city papers from Vancouver to Montreal. And I'm sure you still have friends at, at the Chronicle Herald, or now no longer at the Chronicle Herald. Any any thoughts on the strike? That's very depressing. Uh, I saw a friend of mine yesterday, uh, Pam Sword, who yeah. uh, is running the Local Express. Um, yeah, I find that so sad to see that. Uh, all the the you think of the man hours of one thing, all the person hours of all those people walking the picket line instead of doing what they're good at. Yeah, these are, these are professionals who you know have decades and decades of, of service and experience and expertise, and they're carrying a sign walking yeah. back and forth on the street. And they're they're steadily losing people, right? So you know, uh, uh, Sherry Borden, Dave Jackson, Mike Gorman, a lot of the yeah. uh, the heralds experienced reporters have got tired of holding a sign and they line up a job elsewhere. Dan Arsenault. Dan Arsenault, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I um taken probably a bit long, but there is now no one locally who, as a regular part of their beat, um, goes looks at daily court filings. It's really? me. It's me. That's it. Wow. Yeah. That's shocking. And that's one of, one of the things that I think is really worrying about the collapse of the newspaper business. Uh, and it's not dead yet. I mean, the, the newspaper business, it's not time to write the obits, but it's, you know, it's worrying. Um, so far, we haven't seen any place in North America the dominant newspaper in a good-sized city shut down. They're all limping along, right? Yeah. Uh, now, that's going to start happening unless someone figures out the model. The problem is that the value of general information news is approaching zero. So if you put stuff, you write up a general information story based on, say, what's happened at court today and put it online, you get virtually no money 
through advertising. The right. only model that looks to me to make sense uh, is subscription model, what you're doing, yeah. right? So User-supported subscription model. Unless you have enormous scale, advertising can make sense for Vox or you know, if you're getting millions of clicks a day, but for local news, uh, it's terrible. And making things worse is the fact that there's all this media uh, venture capital money and dot-com venture capital money going in and bankrolling BuzzFeed and Vice and uh, Vox, all kinds of new online publications, in, which in many cases are doing fine work and they're great people. And, and our, our buddy Paul McLeod was, yeah. was doing really good work for BuzzFeed Canada. So that's, the, that's great, except that they are further depressing the market because they haven't found models yet, right? They, they are not... Uh, there's a sort of sense that, oh, these are the brave new digital pioneers and they're showing us the way, except that they're also not making, not producing a profit. They have so much venture capital that the whole system... No one can compete against them. Yeah, it's making it... Yeah, it's... uh, Well, yeah, it's contributing to a a sort of economic environment in which it's very difficult for anyone to make a dollar by covering the news. And And then I don't think that the the newspapers and the news organizations. And in Canada also, I would say that the CBC makes it difficult. I love the CBC, but uh, you try to run a paywall yeah. in and provide decent coverage in Halifax, and people say, well, why am I going to exactly. pay to read the Chronicle Herald when I can click on CBC and read it for free with my tax dollars pay for it? And that's good as f- so far as it goes, but I don't think we want to live in an environment where we only have the CBC. Right. People, uh, we're slowly training people to uh, subscribe. I hate to put it in those terms, but you, you need to pay to, to get quality journalism or, or different voices. That's yeah. the one thing that I see as kind of positive is that there are an increasing number of organizations, uh, outlets. Yours is one of them, and good for you. Congratulations for being brave enough to do it. Two years in now. Yeah, uh, all Nova Scotia yeah. is a uh, an example that, one of the most successful examples in the world, likely, and it's... Yeah. Uh, in its way, um, and there, there's more. The National Observer yeah. uh, is doing something similar, you know, yeah, out in, in Vancouver. Out yeah. in Vancouver, yeah. and I hope that the newspapers will eventually realize. And some of them are, but it's tough. The Winnipeg Free Press has been trying micropayments and paywall for a long time, but again, I think there's an, a real issue here for CBC because if you live in Winnipeg yeah. and you want to know what's going on, do you want to get out your credit card or do you just go to the CBC site? Let's leave it there. Subscribe. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming in. The book is called Salvage, and it's Stephen Marr, M-A-H-E-R, uh, available at, at all quality bookstores and probably on a website or two as well. And uh, we'll have links to all of the above at HalifaxExaminer.ca. Thanks for coming in. Really great fun for me. Thanks, Tim. We'll see you. We'll be back right after this. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly podcast and radio show produced by the Halifax Examiner. I'm Tim Bousquet. And I'm Russell Gratt. As always, we'd love to know what you think. If you have comments on what you've heard or story suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. Until next week, your phrase is donaire royalty.
is well known for breaking the RoboCop story. <laughs> RoboCalls. Robo- <laughs> 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 Let me try that. Who is... <laughs> 